This episode of the ACB Advocacy Update has been made possible in part through the support of ACB of Minnesota. You're listening to the ACB Advocacy Update. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the ACB Advocacy Update. Thank you for everyone joining us on this holiday here on Veterans Day. Uh, I am your host, one of your hosts, Clark Rockfall, ACB's Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs, and I am joined by... Hi, I am Swathananda Kumar. I am your other host, um, ACB's Advocacy and Outreach Specialist. So, good morning, Clark. Good morning, Swatha. This day has... uh, a lot of significant meaning to me, one of which will be the topic of this podcast, um, but also I'd be remiss if I did not wish my, my dad, uh, who is an Air Force veteran, a happy birthday. Um, he worked for the federal government starting in the Air Force and then moving throughout the federal government his entire career, and he always had his birthday off work. So that was wow. um, a nice treat for him, but also it is my anniversary. So happy anniversary, third anniversary to my wife, Greta. Um, Love you. Three years down, one to go. (laughs) (laughs) But Swatha, we're not here to talk about uh, me and my family. It is a a holiday edition of the podcast. And what are we here to talk about today? Yeah. So today is Veterans Day and to talk about that and talk about work at the line of Veterans Association is Don Overton, who's the executive director. Hi, Don. Hey, hello, both Clark and, and, and Swatha. Thank you so much for allowing us the opportunity to meet with you, Clark. Happy anniversary. Happy birthday to your dad. And, and also uh, congratulations to your wife and her advocacy in the military and veterans community now. Uh, truly appreciate it. Uh, all that you all do at ACB, but now seeing your family continuing to carry on that mission uh, that your father uh, started uh, as a testament to uh, what you do on behalf of our nation's veterans. So thank you, sir. Well, thank you, Don. And as, as always, our, our members certainly appreciate the work that you do and the work that Blind and Veterans Association does on behalf of our uh, you know, men and women in uniform you know, during and post-service. So it's always a pleasure to have you on the podcast. I think the last time our members heard from you, uh, you were part of the fireside chat at our DC leadership conference, which seems like a, a long time ago, but that was in February of earlier this year. Yeah. yeah, it's fascinating to look at that. We were we were in a meeting yesterday with some other advocacy groups, and we all kind of had that same realization that this year, where did it go? Right, it, it, it's been just amazing. So. Uh, hopefully next year uh, we'll, we'll be spending more time with face-to-face uh, and we look forward to that for sure. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> um, so Don, tell us um, what is BVA's mission? Yeah, so BVA's mission, we, 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 you know, mission statements, we try to keep those really straightforward. So, you know, for our association, we serve as ambassadors and mentors for veterans and their families adjusting to and living with sight loss. Uh, that's the primary driver for us, Swatha. And, and, and uh, you know, there, there's a lot, obviously, that goes into that. But from a mission perspective, it's just ensuring that, you know, we're there uh, as both that ambassador level uh, from an advocacy perspective, as well as mentors uh, sharing, you know, common experiences uh, with our, our men and women uh, that have experienced sight loss as a result of their service uh, to country. Mm. And what do you do there as a executive director? Or what are your duties? Uh, well, I, you know, I, I always commiserate with my uh, fellow executive directors and you've got a phenomenal executive director over at ACB uh, who I consider to actually be uh, not just a good friend, but also a mentor and spending time there. But, you know, for me specifically, you know, the uniqueness about BVA is we are the only congressionally chartered veteran service organization that was created for and consisting of and most importantly, led by visually impaired veterans. 
Uh, and so, you know, that means that we're focused on the issues, advocacy and mentorship vital to our veterans and families coping with site loss. Uh, so as executive director, I'm specifically tasked with ensuring our compliance with the congressional charter, uh, operational efficiency, service delivery, stakeholder engagement. Um, you know, our stakeholder communities are, are, are broad. Uh, our members are first and foremost, as are their families and caregivers. Uh, but then, you know, that also encompasses uh, the donor bases, uh, you know, our sponsors and those relationships. And then uh, all of the additional agencies out there uh, that we look at as our sister organizations and support folks. So multifaceted, um, you know, there's a lot that goes into this. Uh, but I'll tell you, it's, it's, it's truly a rewarding opportunity to be able to give back to a community that means so much to me. And Don, as a veteran service organization and a membership organization, um, how have your members fared over the past uh, you know, year, two years? Certainly an unprecedented uh, pandemic and changes to our society, certainly in most of our lifetimes, right? So how, what are you hearing from your members and how are they faring? You know, it was unique. And I think uh, outside of uh, the public space, having conversations uh, with you, Clark, uh, throughout the, the preceding year uh, and other folks out there, it was a unique opportunity, I think, for BVA. Uh, you know, I, I, I often say to the board and, and folks that are out there that the pandemic really afforded our association a unique opportunity to further explore and deploy uh, technology, ensuring, you know, timely and relevant member engagement. So, you know, we did so much face-to-face -face and, and you're well aware of the, the myriad challenges uh, that can be associated with any type of face-to-face uh, -face meetings from, from transportation in those areas. Um, but, uh, you know, all too often blindness and, and particularly for our folks, you know, our membership, uh, we're all cited. Uh, you know, this was never a, a gradual adjustment. It's usually a traumatic adjustment to site loss. Uh, and, and so what we often see, whether that's through, you know, traumatic military service or age related conditions, you know, blindness in the veteran community leads to real isolation and withdrawal from society. Um, and that's a result of all of those challenges to access that we deal with, right? So what the pandemic allowed us to do is to engage with those individuals in unique new ways, just as we're meeting today over these platforms to do a podcast. Uh, we were able to engage our members with similar opportunities. So that allowed us to really look at our association and its, and its current model and its current state and, and explore new opportunities and new ways to further empower our members. So whether that was virtual town halls, uh, going around to our different districts and engaging with the regional groups and, and, and members. And as a result of that, you know, we, we've been able to truly uh, explore these opportunities to uh, more effectively, I think, engage as well as explore new and exciting opportunities for our association to develop new programs. So while we had the challenges, uh, you know, and, and they were real, right? So for any of us that were in positions that had to travel during the pandemic, you know, socially distancing with, with you know, and, and my understanding is they're, they're beautiful dots on the floors and things don't really work well uh, without any tactile uh, sensors for those of us that are blind or any of the other, you know, signage. Uh, I think the greatest challenge for somebody such as myself uh, is just trying to navigate uh, down sidewalks uh, with all the sidewalk cafes. And, and so the changes with, with typical uh, barriers that existed before just being further exacerbated. So there were real challenges, but unique opportunities. And, and I'm happy to say, I, I think we've, we've emerged a, a better association as a result of this and, and stronger individuals as well. And Don, do you think that there are um, lessons and uh, programs, things that you implemented as an organization during the pandemic that you will carry forward 
uh, you know, we <laughs> for at least a year now we've been talking about when life goes back to normal, and I'm sure it'll happen here at some point in the the not too distant future. Um, are there things that BVA has started to do um, that you'll continue doing to be able to maintain the the level of engagement with your members? Absolutely, and again, it goes back to just the ability to deploy this technology in unique new ways. And we've learned from, you know, ACB, you all have, have done some things and just been phenomenal uh, uh, resources to our association. So we continually learn from the groups around us and, and we're excited to look at some of the things that you've done. We, we've been able to take lessons learned, I think from some of our other sister organizations as well, but you know, just the ability to stay engaged with our folks, understanding the challenges, whether those are socioeconomically, you know, driven challenges or, or access challenges. Uh, so I think the hybrid models are here to stay. Uh, we want to look at those and have have a balance to them. Uh, so we do want to create opportunities to con- continue utilizing these approaches, but simultaneously, we want to make sure that we have the ability to come together and have those shared experiences that only, you know, that personal contact, being in the room together, you know, that's that's a powerful uh, part of life for all of us. So while there's advantages in the technology, we want to make sure that we never abandon what was tried and true in the past. And, and a lot of that is going to be being able to come together in person. Mm-hmm, definitely. Um, so earlier you mentioned advocacy, advocacy, advocacy work that you do as a part of BBA. Um, so what initiatives or what um, issues or issues is BBA working on in, in that in advocacy space? Yeah, Swathan, thanks. You know, a, a big thing for us is right now, and I think building on what we were just talking about on the internal side, you know, we, we looked at, you know, how do we further empower our members and, and, and our folks out there. And and we have so many touch points, whether it's at, you know, community-based outpatient clinics that the department of uh, veterans affairs uh, operates at at the local levels or VA medical centers. Uh, A long time ago, uh, some folks uh, that, that were my predecessors, opted to really begin to uh, centralize our operations. I don't know that that was the best approach uh, for the association. And so a big driver for us is, is how to you know, decentralize and really get back out and make sure that we have, as we say in the military, boots on the ground at the right places at the right time. So we have built and deployed an ambassador training program that's an ongoing program right now uh, where we are doing everything from the history of the association as a 76-year uh, history, you know, founded and launched by World War II veterans in Old Avon uh, Farm in Connecticut uh, to today, uh, but really helping our folks to understand all things advocacy and equipping them with the experiences and tools necessary to serve as those ambassadors, boots on the ground across the VA enterprise, but also where VA might not exist in the local communities and other areas. And so we're really excited about that program. I've been so blown away uh, to learn about the talent that we have in this association that we weren't aware of before. How many individuals out there with advanced degrees and we're looking for opportunities. So we're really looking at, you know, developing this, uh, you know, group of ambassadors are going to be out there and lead this association in the future. But, you know, on the advocacy perspective, uh, you know, a big thing for us is going to be a primary focus on accessibility. Uh, we're, we're, we continue to experience challenges around uh, whether it's uh, website accessibility, access uh, to care uh utilizing, you know, technology at VA medical centers. And that's, you know, driven by kiosks and some of these other types of approaches that unfortunately the agency being the Department of Veterans Affairs has has really failed us miserably on the accessibility 
arena and we have tremendous, tremendous challenges there. We also have issues around caregiver benefits. Uh, the Department of Veterans Affairs uh, in, enhanced their caregiver uh, benefit program, but for some reason, we're seeing a systematic disenfranchisement of blinded veterans. Blinded veterans that were once eligible for caregiver benefits have been removed from the program. Uh, and every blinded veteran that is applying for caregiver benefits is being denied. It's a unique problem. Uh, we're gathering information now on that. We know uh, that's going to be a major, major issue for us to address in the future. And we continue to have, as I think all of us in the blindness uh, community deal with, and, and those are transportation-related concerns. Uh, so there's some transportation uh, initiatives. The biggest thing that I'll stress uh, is for several years, I think BVA lost its focus. And I think it happens with a lot of uh, organizations and associations out there. We found ourselves uh, really probably expanding well uh, beyond our capacity uh, and our bandwidth to be effective advocates. And, and our new board of directors, our new leadership team is really becoming member centric again. And we're looking at our members as being the primary drivers. Uh, so putting all of our time, effort, and energy and meeting their needs. And so, again, that's why you'll see accessibility, caregiver, and transportation being the three core drivers of our advocacy initiatives. Don, I think that's a great point is you know, small advocacy organizations and uh, not small in, in terms of impact and members, but small in terms of uh, uh, permanent staff, those in Washington or based out of the headquarters headquarters doing the advocacy work, it's it's easy to get caught chasing those shiny objects, right? Um, so it's really interesting to hear how your, your focus is on uh, caregivers, accessibility, and, and transportation. Um, with, could you talk with us a little bit more about the, the situation with caregivers? So is it that uh, the blinded veterans who are filing to serve as a caretaker for another family member? Or is it that uh, blinded veterans who are uh, attempting to file to have somebody else serve as a caretaker for them? Yeah, so it's the latter, Clark. It's actually, you know, the blinded veteran who's in need of that caretaker, right? And so what VA has done uh, is the way that this program is established is it's at the clinical level, which makes, you know, the appeals process rather difficult. We're not dealing with the Veterans Benefits Administration. Now we're dealing at the clinical level. And so what ended up happening is they were writing the rules uh, around this and, and, and we tried to engage at that level uh, was they, they looked at activities of daily living. And so we found ourselves really caught in that difficult situation. We advocated effectively and, and developed within VA some of the best blind rehabilitation centers in the world. And then we further expand those into Visor and Victor, which are more uh, uh, localized uh, uh, aspects of a blind rehabilitation center. The BRCs, blind rehabilitation centers, are inpatient uh, mm -hmm. uh, facilities that individuals go to to get comprehensive training advisor and victors or outpatient approaches. And then we have bros, which are uh, blind rehabilitation outpatient specialists, uh, as well as VIS coordinators, visual impairment service team leads. So we, we've got a really robust system in place. And obviously what we all want to do is empower those individuals to be as independent as possible. And now, unfortunately, you know, because an individual is able to feed themselves and dress themselves and bathe themselves, that got factored into denials of caregiver benefits, not taking into consideration that, you know, those caregivers provide, you know, assistance with medication, assistance with transportation, all of these other components that go into quality of life that aren't being taken into consideration. So there's a lot of safety aspects and areas around there that we have true concerns with, and we just don't think the VA did a good job of, of fully understanding the unique challenges associated with blindness and low vision. Wow, thank, 
thank you for uh, diving into that a little bit deeper for us and for our listeners. Uh, Don, when you were when you were on our podcast last year, uh, we talked about the work of BVA to pass legislation uh, requiring accessibility for VA websites, applications, kiosks, and information. But it sounds like from what you said a little bit ago, focusing on accessibility, um, that there there still might be some some problems with that implementation. Um, can you share with us a little bit more on on the status of the implementation of that legislation and some of the, uh, I don't want to couch it as only the, uh, the barriers to accessibility, but I guess what have you noticed positively and where are there still areas to improve? Oh, so yeah, this, this has unfortunately been a real challenge and, and, and something that we'll be spending a lot of time on. So the legislation itself actually required the Department of Veterans Affairs to produce a report uh, on all of the systems that you named, right? So everything from web-based uh, systems to applications to kiosks and those other areas, uh, basically, you know, an audit of the agency's compliance. And, you know, regrettably, VA put very little effort into that report. Um, they delayed its release. Uh, we subsequently learned that allegedly the report itself had just been lost, lost and forgotten until, you know, we started putting pressure on Congress and back on the agency itself to deliver the report. Um, and, and unfortunately, and I'm, I, you know, I, I'm extremely transparent. The VAs learned that about me as have our friends up on Capitol Hill. But, you know, the report itself was blatantly disingenuous uh, as it looked at you know, current compliance and, and, you know, their failures uh, across the board. And so, you know, what we've seen, uh, again, is a systematic disenfranchisement, particularly of blinded veterans that are employed by the Department of Veterans Affairs. Um, what, what's been happening is, you know, you would think that legislation being passed would be a wake-up call uh, and, and a call to action and an opportunity to engage and collaborate and, and find ways to find solutions. And, and it's been the, the polar opposite of that. What happened is the VA began canceling contracts of remediation teams. So the teams that were in place to help those internal employees, as well as the external stakeholders, so the veterans remediate uh, uh, applications, remediate forms and documents and things, those contracts were canceled and, and, and they haven't been re, uh, awarded. Um, they didn't go out to bid. They didn't look for any of the solutions. And so what they've really done now is, is, is double down on the fact that they are not going to comply uh, with any aspects of accessibility. Uh, they continually uh, cancel uh, engagement opportunities. A report specifically stated this this ro robust relationship with Blinded Veterans Association. We haven't talked to them for months. Uh, they they they, you know, are not talking with us, nor are they engaging with us. And so, you know, we're really concerned by that. Obviously, um, we're not seeing solutions. What we're finding out is that you know, from our members, and we do have members inside of the Department of Veterans Affairs that our employees is, is that the number of EEO equal employment opportunity complaints being filed are increasing. Uh, those folks are being set up for failure. Uh, our request, uh, even through freedom of information uh, for the number of blinded veterans, blinded individuals employed by the agency are going unanswered. Uh, we're currently uh, meeting with the inspector general uh, one of the first steps in processes like these, but uh, as an association, uh, we're gravely concerned. And then, you know, we also learn uh, as, you know, folks that are familiar with what's going on inside of VA, you have corporations such as Cerner, uh, who have been awarded multi-billion dollar contracts to develop the new electronic health record, uh, which is a new initiative in conjunction with uh, the Department of Defense Defense Health Agency, who also is deploying an electronic health record. And the intent of all of these billions of dollars was to create the seamless transition for service members as they transition from military service 
to veteran status that would allow their records to go electronically with them, which should help to expedite, you know, benefit delivery, uh, as well as care and to substantiate all of the moving pieces. Uh, there appear to be a lot of problems there, right? Um, Cerner itself, uh, the way that that contract was structured has their own compliance team that reports directly to the secretary at the Department of Veterans Affairs, not to the information technology teams. And so there's this huge disconnect. And, you know, we work with a lot of uh, technology companies that have solutions. There's companies out there that put, you know, unsolicited proposals uh, in that were very easy solutions to all the problems that VA uh, is experiencing. And, and VA uh, hasn't even responded to those, which, you know, now we're looking at, you know, what are the approaches uh, to try to help remedy those situations. So right now we're really on the outside. We can't even see in. They've blackened the windows. Um, whatever's happening, uh, they're not communicating. They're not communicating with the Hill. They're not communicating with us. And so we're gravely concerned. And our board of directors, quite frankly, uh, has decided that, you know, we've attempted this long enough and now we have to pursue all options on the table. And, you know, I think that goes without saying that at this point, you know, aside from meeting with the inspector general and the judiciary and, and, and other uh, entities out there, uh, you know, we're going to have to look at probably litigating this in order to effectively ensure that, you know, this systematic disenfranchisement of the blindness community uh, ceases to be so easily, uh, uh, you know, that the VA finally realizes that, you know, accessibility should really be at the forefront. They need to be proactive and stop being reactive, stop trying to put band-aids on these, you know, sucking chest wounds and come to the realization that, you know, this is really what drives uh, good business practice, right? It, it, it's making sure that all are welcome, and, and particularly our blindness community are welcome and afforded the same opportunities for success as, as their peers. Wow, Don. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, to circle back to the um, the issues you raised regarding uh, blind and low vision employees at the VA and the issues they're facing with technology. Um, ACB, our board of directors, passed our uh, you know, member-sponsored resolutions from this year. And one of them, Resolution um, 2021-16, uh, dealt with that very issue of accessibility at the VA. It's our understanding that, you know, like you're saying, the the remediation is no longer occurring and that the intent is for this to be temporary while transitioning to new um, accessible systems. Um, but it it sounds like this uh, you know, temporary situation is a prolonged temporary situation. What can... ACB and our members do to assist your advocacy to ensure that you know, blind and low vision employees at the VA have the tools and resources they need to you know, fulfill their duties and serve our veterans. Yeah. And first and foremost, uh, you know, Clark and Swatha, the, the most important thing is, is, is we have a great deal of respect that was already there for ACB and all that you do, but, this meant a lot to us to see that resolution come out of your convention uh, with your membership this year, because this is a unique opportunity, I think, for us to further our collaborative efforts to build greater synergy because, you know, there's strength in numbers. And, and, and quite frankly, you know, we need to approach things from that perspective. And so this, this was very meaningful to us, and, and we truly look forward to these opportunities uh, to work together uh, towards these solutions. Uh, and, and again, you know, all that we're looking to do is really to create that, you know, level playing field, being able to compete, you know, uh, on that level playing field. So I think the most important thing for us uh, from that perspective is going to be as we emerge from 
the processes that we're in right now uh, as an association and, and meeting with outside uh, entities to be able to bring ACV in collaboratively with us to, to maintain some communication, uh, ensuring that we are uh, being as transparent as possible with your team uh, to be able to share with your members. And then, you know, not just to help us in driving this, but how can we equally give back to your initiatives and, and the things that ACB is working on? So as you're well aware, uh, you know, when we're able to speak with a collective voice on Capitol Hill, uh, we tend to be heard. It resonates on Capitol Hill. So having that opportunity is going to be critically important for us as we move forward. So, you know, being able to stay uh, connected with one another, uh, uh, begin to explore these opportunities strategically, uh, first with, with leadership and then uh, take it down uh, to the grassroots levels. We're really looking forward to the power that ACB brings to bear, right? Uh, th there's a lot out there. Uh, there's unique opportunities and, and we're looking forward to being able to harness uh, some of that energy of your members uh, and likewise being able to support them as well. Mm -hmm. So thanks. you mentioned like, yeah, go ahead, Clark. Yeah, thanks, Don. Um, just to you know, dive a little bit deeper on uh, two of the other topics you raised, um, healthcare as well as transportation. Um, so the issues with the electronic health records and patient portals for veterans at the VA, those, I mean, that sounds very similar to the issues that our members face, whether it's um, inaccessible kiosk services at health centers, um, inaccessible websites, uh, electronic health record and patient portal applications, telehealth services. Uh, just so I, I'm clear, there's, there's no separate um, veterans healthcare uh, law and legal requirements, right? Is the VA still subject to uh, Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act and Section 1557, the anti-discrimination provisions of the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act? Yeah, Clark, they are. And, and so you're right, there is no exclusivity there. And, and there is a lot of common ground here. And, and I think and, uh, and I'm sure that your team is working with folks that are out there as well. There are solutions. And, and that's what I think is probably the most frustrating is that these are affordable solutions. We, we see billions of dollars going into these corporations that are not putting accessibility at the forefront, whereas we have groups out there that have dedicated everything to accessibility and they have easy solutions. And these are solutions that can sit atop. So, you know, even if these agencies, you know, choose to not put accessibility at the forefront, they could easily integrate solutions that sit atop those systems and, mm -hmm. and, and bring accessibility uh, solutions right to the forefront. And, and, and they just don't seem to have an interest in engaging in that level. And so, Yes, this, this, this is not mutually exclusive for us. We think if we can drive this through the second largest agency in the federal government, then that will have a tremendous impact on being able to you know, drive it uh, down through the private sector eventually. But so long as this agency uh, does not comply and, and, and seems not to, it's going to be that much harder for us to leverage the private sector, I think. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I, I think we've seen some recent activity from the Department of Justice, right, Swatha, uh, with, with settlements involving uh, New York State in five counties there, as well as with Pennsylvania um, and the uh, COVID vaccine um, and testing websites, uh, the Department of Justice requiring them to make those accessible. So it's it seems like, especially in the healthcare space, it's gaining more more traction that um, accessibility must be included in these platforms and in these services. Yep, absolutely. So, and then Don, uh, just quickly, you raised transportation. Uh, are the transportation needs of veterans with blindness or veterans who have low vision uh, 
different than the rest of the community? Or is there specific programs that you're looking at in, with regards to transportation for your members? Yeah, so interestingly, you know, we, we all have different transportation elements. One of the big pieces that we are looking at, and we're looking at this with our sister organizations in the veteran service arena is, you know, there is a benefit. It's an earned benefit that uh, certain veterans are entitled to, and it's an auto grant, right? And, and for ever, it's been a one-time auto grant. And as we all know, you know, the traditional life expectancy of a vehicle, you know, five, maybe seven years. Uh, and, you know, this doesn't just impact blinded veterans. You know, some folks out there might go, wait a minute, an auto grant for blinded veterans? What is that? You know, and, and really what it is is, no, it's not smart, you know, smart vehicle technology or anything, but it really helps with those socioeconomic, uh, you know, challenges uh, for a blinded veterans family uh, and particularly, you know, that spouse, that caregiver. Uh, and so we're trying to get that program to be renewable. It also impacts our, our veteran populations with spinal cord injuries that paralyze veterans of America and other groups uh, advocate for, you know, with the accommodations of those vehicles. Uh, so we're working on that, uh, which, which just helps to free up the access to care. And then we work with all the groups in our, our sister community on, you know, uh, access areas around ACA and those other challenges. Uh, so whether that's, you know, uh, uh, accessible, you know, uh, airports and aircraft uh, to public transportation. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a power consumer of public transportation. And I think we've come a long way over the years, uh, but we've got a ways to go. And so we will continue to explore uh, some of those areas around uh, transportation. But the biggest driver for us is really going to be that renewable auto grant, you know, somebody such as myself blinded uh, in their early 20s, you know, I used that auto grant, you know, way back when I won't, you know, date myself right now. Um, but, you know, that one and done concept around it, uh, it would be nice if we could get that as a renewable benefit. And we're looking at, you know, every 10 years, perhaps allowing that. And even if we did it as a staggered where, you know, each 10 years, it was worth a lesser amount of money rather than increasing it as, as hopefully veterans position themselves uh, through the aging process to have greater access to resources, um, but, but something to really help offset the significant expense associated. Because, and again, you know, when we look at some 70% of our population that's oftentimes uh, unemployed or underemployed, you know, you're looking at a single, you know, uh, earner in that household. And so, you know, trying to maintain a home and all those associated expenses and then be able to have adequate transportation can really be a challenge. Yep. Mm -hmm. We understand here as well that it's basically a big challenge. Um, kind of moving or pivoting away from, um, like, in relation to math respect for ACB, um, what can ACB and its members and the broader community um, do, the, do more, do to support, better support our veterans and especially the veterans, veterans with disabilities? You know, again, for us, it's, it's a matter of, of finding, I think, ways to collaborate with one another, you know, um, you, your, uh, organization is, is a, a, a very diverse organization across the country. You know, we are spread across the country as well. So I think there's ways that we could explore, you know, synergizing our local groups to come together collectively, both from a public awareness, uh, perspective, uh, it'd be great you know, to find ways to get ACB members out to, to support veterans during, you know, the different uh, veterans initiatives. We all, you know, come together and we share white cane awareness. Uh, you know, we were very fortunate to get, you know, Blind Veterans Day uh, moved through Congress in, in March. Uh, so it'd be great to find ways to team with ACB. 
around, you know, blind veteran awareness and just blindness awareness in general. And then, of course, you know, the two other anchor opportunities for us as a community and a population, uh, Veterans Day, which is right around the corner. Well, well it's now. Uh, and, and then Memorial Day uh, that comes up in May. And so uh, there's ways that I think that that are important. And, and if we get uh, more collaboration amongst our members at those local levels, I think it would incentivize and encourage our blind members to come out and participate more in the community. You know, one of the advantages that ACB has, um, if there's any advantage uh, with blindness, is that oftentimes your membership uh, has been really living with blindness uh, right throughout the life cycle. Uh, For our members, uh, it's one or two uh, trigger points for us. It's either a traumatic experience in military service, oftentimes at a younger age, or it's an age-related situation. And obviously, you all deal with the age-related side of that as well, uh, either way being a bit more traumatic. So, you know, I, I think the experiences and, and the levels of independence uh, and, and the ability for ACB members to support and mentor uh, our members could could be significantly beneficial. Great. Um, so yeah, today's, today's Veterans Day, um, and what 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 um, or how is BVA celebrating? Or yeah. So BVA is, is again, you know, as the only congressionally chartered, and that does bring significance for us being the only congressionally chartered, you know, uh, organization representing the blinded veteran community. Uh, we're also a chartered member of the Veterans Day National Committee. Uh, so what that does is it's, uh, it's a collaboration between uh, the executive branch and, and the Department of Veterans Affairs, the Department of Defense, uh, all centered around Arlington National Cemetery. Uh, mm-hmm. So for us at the national level, you know, Arlington is our anchor event on Veterans Day, this being the centennial uh, anniversary of the Tomb of the Unknowns, uh, which is a very powerful commemoration, and it will be a very powerful event this year, although uh, again, due to the pandemic, uh, vastly scaled back than the traditional. So those wreath-laying ceremonies, uh, what we see around the country is there's opportunities to have communities recognized uh, by the uh, executive branch as, as veteran uh, communities for celebrations. And so, you know, there are parades. You know, the beauty of Veterans Day is really celebrating uh, all things veterans with less than one half of 1% of our nation serving in uniform. Uh, you know, it, it's the one time that we can really come out and, and, and honor uh, those individuals and, and, and help them uh, as, as they strive to reintegrate, you know, after military service back into their communities. Uh, and, and that's really what it boils down to. You know, they want to take, that sense of service that was instilled in the military and bring it back to their communities and, and to be able to serve their communities at whatever levels possible. And so, uh, you know, it's great. You know, we all, you know, want to say thank you to veterans for their service. It's a phenomenal piece, but, um, you know, also being there and understanding that, you know, every now and again, veterans need a shoulder to lean on and they need an ear to hear them uh, and to understand some of the challenges of the experiences that they've uh, gone through and, and, and to work through. So, you know, uh, for me, uh, the most powerful thing is, is, you know, exploring opportunities to friend a vet, right? Uh, friendship is powerful. And again, it brings me back to what I hope to see uh, as we continue on. And it'll be, a, a, I think, a driving uh, theme in our association, which is uh, to collaborate with our sister organizations at the community levels, uh, become members uh, of those associations as possible, uh, and and just find ways to be more collaborative uh, together uh, to share those common experiences. And Don, you mentioned uh, getting established 
Blinded Veterans Day or a day yes. of recognition for blinded veterans. And you said that's in March. When is that? March 15th. Okay. So, so we I, kinda, I can try to keep it, try to keep it really similar to white cane day. Right. So, and I, I can see some, uh, some natural synergies happening here. I, I believe that is a Tuesday in 2022. Um, and that is a Tuesday following the ACB DC leadership conference. Um, so I think we should have some, uh, some follow on conversations about ways to collaborate um, there in the middle of March. Oh, yeah. We definitely need to, we definitely want to look to bring some folks in and be supportive of what you're doing and perhaps try to bring some of our folks in to help with some of your Hill outreach as well. So absolutely. We'll look forward to that conversation. That's great. And Don, I mean, we've covered the waterfront here, but is there uh, anything else that you want to be sure our listener listeners know about or that you'd like to share with them as we wrap up this podcast? You know, Clark and Swatha, briefly, what we found, and again, this is coming back and this is really my appeal uh, to your members and your subject matter experts Uh, We talked about the Blind Rehabilitation Centers and the phenomenal program, but all too often what we have found is, you know, our folks go there and get this, you know, world-class training. And and as you all know, technology is a phenomenal thing, but all too often our members leave, uh, they receive this great technology, and then they get home and they find themselves challenged by that technology. Mm. Uh, And and the VA uh, can't always provide the services necessary for that ongoing support and service. And so we're preparing to launch, uh, uh, we will refer to it as Vet Tech, similar to our ambassador program. Uh, We do have support of the Department of Veterans Affairs. I'm happy to say a lot of the computer access training folks and and other folks want to participate in this. But, you know, these are going to be very informal. We're going to use technology. You know, we'll use the Zoom platforms. But you know, we would welcome the opportunity for ACB uh, power tech folks to come in and collaborate with us on this initiative. What we, you know, it'd be great if we could do everything from, you know, iOS and Windows systems to looking at things, you know, one of the series that we're going to run is, you know, what the tech is this, you know, looking at <laughs> Envision glasses and some of the new technology coming out there. But it would be really, really helpful if we we're able to have kind of beginner, you know, intermediate and, and advanced breakout rooms so folks can really get in there and, and help assist each other, right? For us, it's, you know, veteran, you know, blinded veterans helping blinded veterans. It's really blinded, you know, individuals helping blinded individuals. So uh, if there's some way that we can find a way to collaborate to uh, bring some of your folks in uh, to marry programs together as vet tech. Uh, gets underway, we would really welcome that opportunity. So I would challenge you all to, uh, you know, uh, as you get feedback, hopefully, uh, from your audience, if there's folks that are interested, uh, they can feel free to reach out to us directly or go through your leadership team. And again, it's an opportunity where we might be able to come together and say, let's do this as a dual program and ACB hosts some, we'll host some, and maybe, you know, help bring our members together. Uh, And again, you know, I just think it could be a powerful opportunity for, for your folks to really help mentor and guide uh, our blinded veterans as, as they adjust to, uh, you know, sight loss. Don, that's really interesting. Our, I mean, certainly with NACB, we have our information access committee, as well as our affiliate uh, uh, bits, blind information technology specialists that I'd, I think would be uh, very excited for an opportunity like this. Additionally, at ACB throughout the pandemic, we've been doing our community events. And in August, um, we crossed the 5,000 mark. And if I keep saying that soon, we'll be at a point where we're crossing 6,000 events as well, because August isn't, you know, is two, two, three months ago. Um, as part of those community events, you know, they're everything from just social events to entertainment events, some advocacy and policy events, um, health and wellness. But there's also technology events. We have um, folks from Vispero who host a a weekly 
technology and training event, as well as a, a certified Apple instructor who comes in and shares and speaks about certain Apple platforms or accessibility features and takes Q&A. Um, so in, in some regards, I think the infrastructure for this already exists. We just need to get it to a place where um, you know, we can collaborate and ensure that it's uh, meeting the needs of the most people possible. Absolutely. And that, again, that's what we're looking at as well. We, we, we know because we have members of our association that participate in those groups. Uh, we realize that there's opportunities. We got into conversations with everybody from, you know, Google and Vision, OrCam and, and the other groups that are all really excited about this. And obviously, you know, the incentive for all of us would be to say to them, we're going to be bring a much broader audience and it's not just going to be BVA, but there's a unique opportunity for perhaps for us to, to, to bring these uh, diverse audiences together collectively. Uh, and that's a powerful model. And so we welcome that opportunity. We, we, we look uh, to engage and we already have some, some overlap of our members that are doing things within your association and, and vice versa. So we look forward to those opportunities, sir. As do we. Well, Don Overton, Executive Director of Blinded Veterans Association, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on the ACB Advocacy Update. Uh, it's been a, a great conversation about the, uh, the, the highlights of the work that you all are doing, as well as some of the, the barriers and challenges that our blinded veterans and veterans with low vision are facing. Um, I don't know if it's a, a good sign or, or what, that it seems like a, a lot of the, the challenges are very similar between BVA and ACB, but more reason for us to stay in close contact and collaborate um, to take these challenges on together. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And you've got a phenomenal leadership team. You all are doing amazing work and, and we hope to be able to help uh, support that. And as you know, we say all the time, keep fighting a good fight. You guys are doing phenomenal work. Clark uh, Swatha, really appreciate you taking the time and allowing us the opportunity to meet with you today. Thank you. And in addition to keep fighting the good fight, we'll close this podcast out by saying what we always say. Keep advocating. This episode of the ACB Advocacy Update has been made possible in part through the support of ACB of Minnesota. ACBM wants to send along heartfelt greetings to all of its family throughout the ACB community. Having hosted two outstanding and invigorating ACB national conventions, they are committed to expanding opportunity for Americans who are blind and visually impaired. ACBM supports the James R. Olson Memorial Scholarship honoring one of its past members, and they continue to not let life during these challenging times slow down. ACBM invites all to their informative bi-monthly community conference calls, ranging on everything from sports and technology to gardening and loving life in the land of 10,000 lakes. They hold quarterly monthly membership meetings, monthly coffee gatherings, and monthly board meetings. To learn more about ACBM, visit their website at www acbminnesota.org or call 612-223-5543. ACBM, a supporter of the ACB Media Network.